Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP2. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the simple online accounting solution built for small business owners just like you who want to skip the headache at tax time. For a limited time, try FreshBooks free for 60 days. To get started, visit GetFreshBooks.com now and enter This Week in Photo in the How Did You Hear About Us section. This episode is brought to you by Drobo, makers of the Drobo Mini and Drobo 5D. And TWIP listeners get $50 off at drobostore.com. Just use the offer code TWIP50. This week on TWIP, Nikon announces the D4S and is Canon pulling out of the cheap point-and-shoot market, plus problems over at Pocket Wizard. Also, an interview with nature photographer Juan Pons. It's Wednesday, February 26, 2014, and this is TWIP. And welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me this week to discuss some of the cool photography-related topics that are happening in the photography world are Miss Valerie Jardin and Mr. Joseph Linaski. Hey, guys. Welcome. Hey. How are you? How are you All doing? Right. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's a crazy, crazy year already. It's just insane. Valerie, you, you just touched down. You were out running around. The, you're always running around the world. This time you were in the lower right corner of the world. <laughs> oh boy, is, yes. Australia. What were you doing? In, you're in Melbourne, Australia. What are you doing down there? And it's far. Oh my, is it ever far. But it was well worth it. I was teaching a workshop and it was just the most amazing experience. I mean, except the trip down, which, you know, after eight hours of transit from Minneapolis to LA, you know, between the flight and the, the airport connections, yeah. and then this, the almost 16-hour flight from LA to Melbourne. I'm used wow. to the nine to 10 hours, and I can handle that, no problem. After nine hours, 10 hours, like, oh, there are about six hours left. Huh, what am I going to do now? That's, so, when you, that's, that's when you ask Jack Daniels for a little help <laughs> to, <laughs> to help you do the flight. <laughs> but once I got there, I didn't even sleep. I walked for eight hours with my camera. I figured I'm just going to just spend the day walking. I have to keep moving. And then uh, next day I met my group, and it was awesome. We had, a, we had the best time. Everybody learned a lot, although they were on their territory a lot of well some people flew in from other cities in Australia but uh, most of the participants were from Melbourne so I had to show them their city through different eyes and uh, so that's always the most challenging I mean it's not like I was bringing Paris with me you know right, right. <laughs> uh, so it's uh, it's a little more intimidating but it was awesome and everybody had a great time and I'm, I'm I have so excited to, and, to hear how and, you like over the God, I don't mean years I guess you've been on TWIP now at least right so mm -hmm. Over that time, when you first came on the show, you were just—I mean, you were still just you starting. Work you were doing workshops at the time, but you still had a different job, and you were like, "Yeah, I'm still doing this thing." Yep. And now you're like 
full-on pedal to the metal, like mirrorless, running the globe <laughs> photographer. Now, what's going on? How that It's happen? fun. I just pick a place. I just like on the globe. I pick a place and say, oh, I'm going to do a workshop there, and I put it on the market. And if it fills up, then I go. And wow. it's fun. I'm I'm going to Rome next year. I'm adding Rome to my uh, schedule. You know, people just don't like you now because of it. <laughs> <laughs> they do. People, they people are sitting workshop. in their cube. People in their cubes in their office right now, listening to this, think like, "Okay, I got to go to my next boring meeting in 30 minutes." And here, Valerie is telling me that she's spinning the globe and yeah, picking a spot that she's going to go to. You know what? It's a lot of work. I worked hard to get here, so. Yeah, I know. It didn't just come easily, and it's still a lot of work. I mean, just the teaching part. I mean, it's a lot of work. Granted, I love it. I love it. Yeah. I wouldn't trade it for anything else, and I don't even shoot commercially anymore. But just to keep the ball rolling, you know, it's just that you need to, you know, people will forget about you if you don't keep oh, yeah. the ball rolling. So easily, it's easily. The, the marketing part is huge. It's yeah. a lot of work. That's what I preach all the time. And then something special is coming up. And what's that month? June, right? And so, <laughs> what's happening in June, Valerie? Yes, the Par the first Paris workshop of the year, with our special uh, special attendee, Frederick. Yeah. Uh, really excited. <laughs> I'm <laughs> to going to hang out in Paris. So Paris will never be the same after I leave. Yeah. Tell you. <laughs> and so hurry up because it's almost full. So if anybody's interested, sign up now. We're gonna party uh, in Paris. So yeah, if you're listening to this. Fun. Uh, you know, this show drops on Friday. Valerie, I think you said you had like one or two slots left yeah, in yeah. the show. I have one spot officially. I'll take two because there's usually, there's usually a cancellation. Um, so I'll take two more participants and that's it. I, I right. lock it at, at nine. So. I mean, this is, you know, I'm going to make the most of Paris. So if you're there with me, <laughs> listeners, then, you know, be prepared to be banned from Paris after this <laughs> I'm gonna leave my mark on France. <laughs> oh boy! Well, well, welcome, welcome back to the show, Valerie. It's good Thank to have you. And also on the show, Mr. Joseph Lenaski, my good friend. What's going on, Joseph? Well, Frederick, right now I'm just trying to figure out how to incorporate an Aperture Expert session into this Paris uh, workshop that you guys are planning. <laughs> Feeling a little left out over here. <laughs> Wait, what's that? What application is that? I'm sorry. Uh -huh. no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I kid. <laughs> and it took two and a half minutes. This new you started it. You started it. You're like my brother. Like You started it, Mom. <laughs> He's on my side of the couch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's just... Uh, Keeping actually exceptionally busy. I've spent it's been a good start to the year for sure. Uh, a lot of pro a lot of projects I actually can't talk about, which is kind of cool. Hopefully, cool. we'll be able to sometime in the nearest future. But I'll be seeing you out in WPPI next week. Yeah, and, yeah, you're yeah. gonna come on the stage in, in the Panasonic booth and talk about gear and all kinds of cool stuff. Right? Yeah, that'll be really exciting. Looking forward yeah. to that. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, Aperture Expert's been ramping up again. It's uh, since the the new site went in, and there's still a lot of changes going on there, but the, uh, the the involvement has been increasing on there, which is really exciting. So even though, as you will quickly point out, there no, hasn't been a major new version in quite a while, there's still activity is still growing, which is great. But they haven't killed it yet, right? So not or they haven't they have not Aperture is still actively under development at Apple, so it's not gone. It's just it's you just got it. It's just there. We're I waiting. have a see. I have a theory, and this is you know I'll preface this by saying I know absolutely nothing. You know, of course. Just of course. because I used to work there doesn't mean anything. They don't tell me anything. No. Um, and actually, because I have a soapbox, they probably really don't tell me anything. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> You're ostracized. <Yes>. Exactly. <laughs> 
So, uh, no, but my theory is, you know, you saw what happened with iWork and with Pages, Numbers, and Keynote and how the latest version of that was feature parity with iOS. Mm-hmm. So you have identical features across them. And it cost a bit, right? You lost a few features, quite a bit, few features on the desktop, but they've been slowly adding those back in. Or I shouldn't say slowly, they've been quickly adding those back in. My theory is that that's kind of what's happening with Aperture, although I, they can't take away features. That would not be good, and I think maybe that's even what's taking so long. So my my theory is that they are working on a feature parity version, or at least a completely compatible, maybe fewer feature on the iOS, but a fully compatible iOS version that will allow you to seamlessly move back and forth. That's my theory and my hope, because I think that would be fantastic. I'm using the iPad more than anything these days. Me too. Uh, yeah, the because of you, fantastic. basically. I think because yeah. of you, I, I recently got um, the uh, the larger iPad, the, the Air, the iPad Air. Okay, sure. Yeah, with the max down on RAM and all that, so it's like a monster. And that thing, yeah. I'm doing more work on that than lately than I am on the Mac. You know, yeah. I'm like importing things in there, doing little tweaks and sharing it out. I'm like, why would I go into my office and use the Mac now? You know, yeah. it's so much easier. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, I've got the you know the Mini, the Retina Mini, and that mm-hmm. is just a fantastic little machine. Um, I just I like that smaller size. I absolutely love it. And it, you know, there are times when okay, the bigger screen would be nicer for the photos, but uh, the overall size and compactness of that thing is out of this world. So yeah. And yeah. when I go to do WPPI next week, all I'm bringing is the mini and uh, a Bluetooth keyboard when I do need to type out long emails or whatever. At least I have that option. Oh, that's a good uh, idea. I yeah. actually got – I should show it to you. It's not here. It's at home. It's called an origami. It's this little – it's like a $25 case for the keyboard mm-hmm. that wraps around and protects the, ca- uh, protects the keyboard. And then when you open it, it kind of folds over on itself and becomes a, a stand for your iPad. Oh, Dude, yeah. send me a link. Send us a link so we can put that in the notes too. I will do that. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. And uh, yeah, so that's that and my mini. That's my computing power that I'm taking to WPPI. That's it. So you're not bringing a physical computer, no nope. MacBook Pro, nothing? Nope. If I can do the entire shoot for Mercedes off of uh, an iPad, I think I can handle WPPI. I'm, I'm going to follow your suit. I swear, I was on the fence before this, before this hangout. Um, I was going to bring my laptop just in case, you know, I had to do something. But yep. because of you, I'm only going to bring that because it's a it's a <laughs> iPad Air. I mean, this is like the a supercomputer. So I'm going to yeah. bring that only and my computer bag or my uh, my camera bag rather. And that's there you it. Go. No, Maybe some clothes. I don't know. I may be some clothes too. <laughs> please, <laughs> please. Yes. The uh, the Air is the same processor, as far as I understand. It's all the same processor that's in the Mini. It's just the same thing in a smaller package. So yeah, it's yeah. incredible. Crazy. Incredible thing. Awesome. We're going to have a good time in Vegas, man. So, yeah, we are. Yeah, folks, but by the time the show drops, it will be two days before WPPI starts because this show drops on Friday. WPPI starts in earnest, I think, on Sunday. The first, the kickoff party is Sunday night in the MGM in Hakusan, I think is the name of the bar that it's the kickoff party is in. So if you are in w- at WPPI on Sunday, come to Hakusan and say hi to Joseph and I. We're going to be hanging out there. Um, otherwise, swing by the uh, the Panasonic booth and and watch the hangouts that we're doing. There, the the cool thing about the hangouts that we're doing in the Panasonic booth is they're not specifically about Panasonic gear. Although that's of course we're going to be talking about Panasonic gear there, but it's more about photography. You know, that's that, that's what got me excited about it. We're going to be talking about photography. Like the session that Joseph is in is about gear specifically and his gear choices and why and like what did Joseph take to shoot the Mercedes thing and get paid that half a million dollar check, you know, <laughs> all, all that, those kinds uh, of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Move that decimal a few places. <laughs> 250 minutes. Okay, come on. <laughs> all right, guys. All right, before we uh, continue with this show, uh, I want to give a huge thanks 
to our first sponsor for this episode of TWIP, and that's our friends over at Squarespace.com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP2. And the new Squarespace metric app for iPhone and iPad allows you to check site stats like page views, unique visitors, and social media follows. And with the blog app, you can make text updates, tap and drag images to change layouts, and monitor comments on the go. You can start a trial with no credit card required and start building your website today. Then when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code TWIP2 to get 10% off and to show your support for this week in photo. And we thank Squarespace for their support. It's everything you need to create an exceptional website. All right, guys, let's do the news. Let's do the story number one. I've been looking forward to the show to talk about this. <laughs> this is awesome because I'm a Nikon shooter. I've been shooting Nikon forever. Um, in fact, I, I guess I wouldn't say I'm a Nikon shooter now because I've been shooting my, my Panasonic GX7. That's my tool of choice right now. But before then, since 1989, <laughs> I was shooting Nikon cameras, film, and then transitioning into digital. So this week, just briefly, or, or earlier this week, Nikon released their newest flagship body, their DSLR body, for $6,499, and that's the D4S. It's got the same megapixel count and sensor as a D4, but it's got a new and improved processor, image processor. But get this. This is the thing that I want to talk about. All this other stuff, you can read the specs, all right? Go to DP Review or whatever and read the, all the detailed specs on this. The thing that popped out to me was they've increased the ISO sensitivity to 409,600. <laughs> like, I mean, does it... <laughs> Like, does it see into the future? Or, like, <laughs> what is going on with that? I mean, can you see the DNA of cells at 409,000? Joseph, let's start with you on this. So, 409,600. So, first of all, when I when I saw this, and I'm reading through the page, you know, the classic rollout of, an, of a Nikon DSLR body, flagship body, they, you know, you know how they do it. It's beautiful marketing copy, great product shots, and listing of the features and benefits, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. That's all there. But when I was reading through it, because I read through it first, I'm like, oh, wow, cool. And then I read through it again with my marketing hat on. I'm like, this seems a little incremental to me, but maybe it's just because I'm not is it is it me being like okay I'm I'm over in this camp shooting mirrorless now that I'm a curmudgeon towards Nikon or is it really just an incremental update? So I want to do this show, bring it up on this show to give me some reality. So when you saw this, Joseph, what did you think? Yeah, incremental. I mean, it really does seem okay. Obviously, that ISO is insane. That's incredible. Um, but how many people really need that? You know, there's yeah, like, a point what, where you use that. I mean, like yeah, exactly for those photographers that are traveling to the dark side of the moon, <laughs> you, you need you will be able to get a shot of a crater or a black mouse in a crater. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, the I, there's a point where presumably, and I haven't you know looked into it to compare it, but presumably, if it can shoot that high, then ISO 6400 is better than 6400 was on the previous camera. Yeah. So I'd like to think that that's the case. So those higher higher ISOs that uh, you actually do use in a normal situation are going to be better. So that's always sure. you know good news. Um, 
but you know, I, I'm I have become disenchanted with with 35 millimeter equivalent. Right, this is not that exciting anymore because you know what you were just talking about the the mirrorless Micro Four Thirds, all these other little cameras that are so amazing and so much smaller. Even the Sony, what is it, A7 that's now is full frame and it's still a tiny little thing. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the price of this. $6,500 for this D4, and, and this isn't a knock against Nikon because I know that Canon's top of the line is around the same price. <laughs> sure. um, you know that for $500 more, you can get a Pentax 645 medium format 40 megapixel camera? Wow. Wow. Yeah, but then that's a big camera, and you're not, you're not taking that into the jungles of Botswana or whatever, right? Why not? I mean, it's... it's weather sealed. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's... it doesn't have 400,000 ISO. No, no, it doesn't have the 400,000 <laughs> yeah. ISO, yeah. but... I mean, yeah. obviously, it depends on what you need, right? Every camera's yeah. got a purpose. But it just seems to me at this price point, when for DSLRs of this caliber to still be at that price range and medium format cameras, real medium format cameras, not Nikons that shoot 36 megapixel, but real medium format sensors are coming down to the sub $10,000 price point. This is $7,000 for the body. You know, I, if I was starting fresh with a bunch of money to spend and trying to decide whether I was going to buy a top-end Nikon or Canon or a entry-level medium format and then go for the small mirrorless system to go with it to accompany it, ooh, you know, I'd be looking at medium format. I think I'd skip DSLR altogether. Yeah, I mean, I can see, Valerie, I want to have you chime in on this too, but I, I can see folks like Steve Simon, um, who's who's been shooting Nikon since... I don't know, since the the Cretaceous period, right? So he's, <laughs> oh, Steve, he's not even here to defend himself. Steve, Steve's been shooting Nikon for a while. And, he, like, he and I were walking around New York City last time I was out there. I, I think it was Photo Plus. We were at Photo Plus, and we had dinner. We were sitting, walking around talking photography, of course. And, he, you know, just Steve is, like, he loves his Nikon. He's one of those people that loves Nikon. Not only is he – I think he's sponsored by Nikon, but even if he wasn't, he would he would bleed black and yellow, you know. He's that guy. So, you know, like, the, those are the folks that I think will look at this and just be like, oh, my God, i got to get a second mortgage on my house because I need to get this camera, like, right now. I don't know. Valerie, what do you think? When you saw this, especially getting your perspective, having transitioned into, like, so heavily into mirrorless, and that's what you're teaching, you're running the world doing this stuff. When you see a body like this pop out there for $6,500, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? Well... I mean, if you have all the lenses that go with it, I mean, mm-hmm. then you really you're stuck in that system, and you're just gonna. If you need to upgrade, why not? If uh, mm-hmm. if you make a living at this, and you already have, you know, um, a top of the line Nikon that's starting to wear out, yeah, I can see that being the next logical move. Right. Um, starting out, well, who would start out a photography business with gear that expensive? That would be stupid, uh, because. <laughs> I mean, you have to. Your clients have to pay for your gear first, so right. uh, you wouldn't spend that kind of money. But uh, unless you have unlimited funds, and then fine, they're good for you. But yeah. um, then you don't need to make money with photography, and it's a hobby right. anyway. Well, right? yeah, but it's you know satisfaction of it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I. Yeah, medium format. I didn't even think of that when I saw that. Um, good point. Um, that's a lot of money to put into a DSLR. Like yeah. even even when you were shooting with your DSLR, would you? Mm-hmm. I know you were Canon, right? When you yeah. were. Yeah, and I still I still have it. Um, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Would you? I mean, would you looking at the specs of this thing? Is this something that would appeal to you? Like for example, the the ISO sensitivity up to four hundred nine thousand six hundred. Would you have seen that? <laughs> you just like saying four hundred nine thousand six hundred. It's just yeah. I just like saying that number. It's the nine thousand six. It's the nine hundred six hundred. Uh, the nine hundred nine thousand six hundred. That really. 
tip, tip I mean, for me. Come on, I I grew up in a world where ISO 1600 was like was huge. Yeah, <laughs> it was crazy. It was like, very noisy. Or yeah, rainy. and very noisy. Rainy, yeah. rainy. Green. It was beautiful yeah. though. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm you know, I I shoot with my Fuji at 6400, and I have you know, I don't even use the um, noise control, so I'm I'm happy with that, and I don't mm. care if it's noisy. You know, I'd rather have a noisy picture than no story. So um, I'm I'm good with that. I've, so who's this for? Though? I mean, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking because the previous Nikon's previous as of like before the D4S were amazing. I mean they could do you know definitely they're capable machines that can do anything you throw at them. So I'm looking at this and I'm wondering okay was is was this a is this a like a disease or a cure in search of a disease <laughs> or like well like, a lot of why? people a lot of people want the latest and greatest, you know, no matter if they're using what they have to their to its full potential or not. That's yeah. just there are people who like that. It's just like people want to buy the latest car and if their car is as you know, the model of their cars change slightly, they have to sell it and get the the latest sure. one. I know people like that. And um I I don't care about the gear much as you guys know. Right. <laughs> and I sure yeah. don't care about the brand. So uh whatever works for me. So. Yeah, yeah, that's just interesting. Joseph, what do, what do you think about that? Like, who is this for? Who is this camera designed for other than, and I'll, I'll put a finer point on it, other than the photographer who has a shelf full of Nikon sure. F-mount lenses, yeah. right? Who Who is this designed for specifically? Well, if you're shooting with this level of DSLR, you're not replacing them every year, most likely. I mean, obviously some people are, but, um, yeah. you know, my, my workhorse Canon is the 1DS Mark III, which is, what, six or seven years old or something like that now? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, I didn't get the Mark IV because it wasn't full frame. And now there's the 1DX, which is, or, um, or EOS 1X, whatever the heck it is. You know, they're the new top-of-the-line, newest yeah. top-of-the-line Canon. And it's a, a phenomenal camera, no question about it. Runs circles around mine. But at that price point, I would rather, I'm at a point where I'd rather save the money for medium format. So who is it for? Well, I guess people like me, fair enough, who are going to stay in that 35 millimeter space, 35 millimeter size, and do actually need that level of a body. And, you know, I put that 1DS through its paces, and that thing has been beat up and down like crazy, and it works like the day it came out of the box. So it is a camera that is worth every penny you pay for it, but when you're counting your pennies right now and looking at what else is on the market, it makes it harder to justify. Yeah. You know? And what are, you, what are you shooting with primarily right now, Joseph? Um, well, either the Canons or OMD. That's if I out and about, it's all the OMD, the Micro Four Thirds in the studio or anything action related. Then I still need the the Canon for that. But yeah. studio is Canon, just because it is, you know, it's bigger, cleaner. I got a much larger lens selection. Mm -hmm. um, but for out and about shooting, it's all on the OMD. Events, I'm shooting on the OMD. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's you know, it's great. The thing does. So you're doing does paid everything. work. You're doing paid work oh, yeah. on mirrorless. Okay. Absolutely. Cool. All right. So the guys, the the other half of this story is Canon. So Canon announced that they are uh, essentially pulling out of the point-and-shoot market, and which is significant because they kind of, in a lot of ways, define the point-and-shoot market with the PowerShot brand or line of cameras. These are the They're essentially cutting out the uh, sub-200 cameras, right? So these are the ones that you know people would just throw in their purse or in their back pocket or in the backpack and take off and take pictures. And... Obviously, it's because of these things, right? It's for the the smartphones taking the uh, taking the wind out of the sails. Why take a point and shoot camera when you have 
point, shoot, and share right here in your back pocket, right? Yeah. So looking at this, Valerie, looking at this story, okay, Canon Canon receding out of the point, shoot market, Nikon doubling down on the ultra high-end market. What's happening with these guys? What do, what do you think? Well, neither one of them seem to be um, really big on the mirrorless system. I mean, when you think mirrorless, you don't think Canon and Nikon. That yeah. you, they don't really come in the in the picture, um, no pun intended. But uh, it really, uh, you'll think Olympus, you'll think Fuji, Panasonic. But uh, so, are they going to really keep? Um, you know, focus on the DSLR and the high-end stuff and just do that, possibly. And that might not be a bad move. I mean, that's what they're known for. Yeah. So maybe that's what they're going to focus on. Um, the point-and-shoot, yeah, I can see that dying. Uh, although it seems like Canon was still doing quite well with the point-and-shoot. Because same, same here, I think when people were thinking point-and-shoot, they were thinking Canon. Yeah. So yeah. whether you're thinking DSLR or point and shoot, I think Canon had it, was in a good spot. I think it's almost but, like um, a, a re, it might be a redefinition of the point and shoot from when I look at it because I look at like the Sony was the RX100 and those those like really capable all in one bodies with the with the crazy zooms on them. They shoot raw. They like mm -hmm. they have all the professional features, but you turn them off and they compact down into a little sliver yeah. that you throw into your back pocket. But they're not cheap either. But they're there's something that a professional photographer like you or Joseph could grab and take out with you and feel like you were not going to miss a shot because you didn't have your camera with you. Whereas with a point and shoot, you might be like, oh, okay, low light sensitivity is not there. Forget about it. I'm not going to get the shot. So could that be the next step for the point and shoot cameras into these like takeaway cameras that you won't don't want to take with you when you take your you know, ultra, your EM1 or your, you know, whatever, your bigger DSLR with you? What do you what but that's you not going to be in the $200 range. No. I no, mean, we're, we're looking six, five, six 600 plus. bucks. Yeah. And, and actually, you now you can get a 20 megapixel mirrorless camera um, with an APS-C sensor, and that's going to be my pick of the week, so I'm not going to say too much more right now. No, it but can't be, because you, you already told it, so it can't for, be. Uh, for, for 550 bucks, <laughs> and then you have all those lenses um, to... Yeah. You know, so I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. What do you think, Joseph? I mean, is this is this the end? So is this the end of the low end and Nikon grasping for straws at the high end, or is this you know at the high end it's Nikon saying, okay, we believe in this market and we know what we're doing, so watch what watch this space. And at the low end with Canon, it's like, okay, we're you know, it's it's just market evolution. We're dropping the sandbags and we're gonna keep going. I th yeah, I, I think it's the days are numbered for that camera market for both the big DSLR market and for these super cheap little subcompacts, and they're getting edged out from all sides. Your like you pointed out, your cell phone, your iPhone, your Samsung, whatever. Those things have incredible cameras on them. Yeah. So there's the point and shoot, right? I don't need to have a regular point and shoot, a pocket size point and shoot that frankly is not you know it's about the same size as my phone. Maybe it's bigger, um, and it doesn't do anywhere near as much as my phone does. And okay, maybe the picture quality is a bit better, but when you compare the convenience for it, um, you know, convenience is going to win for the vast majority of people. And when you get into the cheaper DSLR market, anybody who tells me they want to buy a, a new camera, a new DSLR, you know, should I get a Rebel? Should I? Oh, hold on a second. Now we got to talk mirrorless because those cameras that just a few years ago were a great deal aren't so much anymore. Yeah. 
And then you go up to the high end and we get back to the discussion about medium format starting to come down into that space. And obviously there's a market for it. You know, Today, if you're going to shoot sports or look at the Olympics, right? All the cameras out there, they're Nikons and Canons. That is what rules the roost out there. Yeah. But those days are number two, right? The mirrorless are getting better and better at fast focusing, follow focusing. They're still not as good, but they're getting better. Yeah. And, you know, it's... I yeah, think my, my I think they're the squeeze like, from both sides. Yeah, you see them at, at the Olympics and other sporting events, and then, you know, my thing is, like, how often do I go to the Olympics? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Once every four years. Yeah, you know, <laughs> if, yeah, my friend Jeff Cable gets to go to the Olympics. I don't go to, I don't go to the Olympics. I don't get invited. Um, well, I'm just wondering if Nikon and Canon will survive even if they just, you know, with the, the high-end DSLR market yeah. in the long run. Right. That's because uh, the Those market is still going to shrink. I mean, it's always going to be. I mean, it's going to be there for a long time, but it's definitely going to shrink. So I. Kinda... I don't know. I mean, is it? Is it? And I hate to beat a dead horse here, but is it a case of the big guys, Nikon and Canon, like, are they are they like polishing a turd, <laughs> or is it? <laughs> or well, it's do still they need fantastic to revamp? Gear. And that that term was a Skip Cohen term that he used at a trade show on stage. <laughs> but the if, gears. I mean, is it is it time for them to just do a Sony and pull like okay hey we're reinventing this whole thing we're gonna do a full frame mirrorless Nikon camera we don't care about that we're we're forgetting about the F mount we'll make adapters for the F mount or if, if we could but we are we're doubling down and reinventing ourselves and going after this new space is that what needs to happen with both of these guys what do you guys think so it certainly is what I hope they are doing I hope they are doubling down and looking at all of these. Uh, look at all these other technologies out there, and they have great tech, right? They've got great sensors, and yeah. Canon especially has great glass. So yeah. they've got the technology. Let's just make it smaller, give people what they want. Obviously, there's still a market for these, and the cameras they're selling are absolutely fantastic, better than they've ever been. They're amazing gear that any of us would be you know, very, very happy to use. It's just when you're counting your dollars coming out of your pocket and looking at the amount of weight that's hanging up your shoulder compared to the quality of the image that you're getting, it's a hard sell, really hard sell. It's still also about perception. I mean, people still think bigger is bigger, bigger is better. And and um, when they see somebody with a camera, it's actually funny. Uh, even as a street photographer, um, I I notice it. I mean, um, usually people are less intimidating and they're more likely to uh, to let you take their picture if you have a smaller camera. But absolutely. Uh, but but actually, the other day in Australia, it was actually quite funny. Uh, the students, my students, were doing street portraits, so they were actually interacting. And then uh, I had a couple DSLR shooters, and the others were uh, mirrorless shooters. And uh, one guy said, "Oh yeah, I'll have you take." One of the participant had a DSLR, and he said, "And a pretty big one." And I said, "I'll have you take my picture because you're serious. You're a serious photographer. You don't have one of those little cameras." And we right. just you're all real. Laughed, you know, yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. real. Yeah. So there's still that perception, and, and I mean, the day that the top wedding photographers start showing up with smaller systems, then, you know, people will start getting used to that, I think, but that will be a while. Well, you know, I don't know. I, I think I there you are. The, I go the yeah. opposite direction on it, because I, I, what was it, last weekend I took a drive up to Sacramento, California, it's the, the state capital, and I wanted to take pictures around the capitol building and the city, just like an impromptu by myself photo walk, right? So I had my little mirrorless camera and my little camera bag, had my headphones on, I'm listening to music, walking around. And 
you know, it, it, I didn't get the feel that people thought that, hey, look at, oh, there's a professional photographer there. You know, oh, it's just some other, another tourist, you know, yeah. walking around taking pictures. I was getting great pictures, but no one knew what I was mm -hmm. doing or I blended in better and I felt more comfortable shooting. I didn't feel like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of, I got to look like I know what I'm doing with my giant lens and all this stuff. I was just like there taking pictures, click, 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 pack up, go to the next spot, you know. And it felt it, it felt amazingly liberating yep. to to go out there and shoot like that and not have that stigma of hey look at me I'm a shooter and I have expensive gear with me you know mm -hmm. I don't know maybe it's just me maybe it's just me. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, before we continue with the rest of this show, we spent a lot of time on that. Um, I want to give another thanks to our second sponsor for this episode, and that's our friends over at FreshBooks. You can find it at GetFreshBooks.com. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the simple online accounting solution that's built for small business owners just like you. For a limited time, you can try FreshBooks free for 60 days. To get started, just visit GetFreshBooks.com and enter This Week in Photo in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And it's tax time. If you're not using FreshBooks, your life is probably a mess right now. You're hunting for receipts. You're digging through invoices, going through every record one by one. It's the worst. FreshBooks is a simple cloud accounting solution that makes tax time a breeze. And with FreshBooks, you can create professional-looking invoices, capture and track expenses, and get real-time business reports with just a few simple clicks. Plus, you can work anywhere with FreshBooks using their mobile apps for your phone and tablet. And I use FreshBooks personally to manage the This Week in Photo universe by because you know it's kind of a one-man band here managing all the expenses and the invoicing and the clients and all advertisers, all that stuff. So FreshBooks is the back end to everything on This Week in Photo. It automatically invoices advertisers, it invoices everything, keeps everything in track, and when I need to run reports for tax time, it's a few simple clicks, and boom, I'm done. I don't have time, I wanna be a photographer, I wanna be out shooting, so FreshBooks makes it easy for me to just get everything done. And it's, uh, it's, it's just a great service, it's a godsend for getting things done as a very thin operation in terms of headcount. Um, and you know, for me, if I if I knew known about FreshBooks when I first started this week in photo, a ton of headaches would have just gone away. I mean, we receive invoices from people using FreshBooks, so they, you know, when when we send things out, they look professional. We get paid online, so there's no hassle of mailing checks or anything crazy like that. So FreshBooks is awesome. And like I said at the beginning, for a limited time, you can try FreshBooks for free for 60 days. Just get started at GetFreshBooks.com and enter This Week in Photo in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And right now, FreshBooks is giving our listeners and viewers an extended 60-day free trial just to make sure you can get through tax time in a breeze. They're trying to make everything easy for you. So head over to GetFreshBooks.com, enter This Week in Photo in the How Did You Hear About Us section when you sign up, and enjoy. And make sure you know, you tell them that This Week in Photo sent you. All right, story number two is about Pocket Wizard, and I know you guys are familiar with these guys. For the folks in the audience that aren't familiar with Pocket Wizard, this is the company that makes these wireless triggers or slaves that essentially you connect one to your camera, 
connect another one to a strobe, and in some, at its most basic level, it will trigger the flash and turn the flash off when you click the shutter button, thereby giving you a wireless sync cord. Um, at its more advanced level, it sends TTL or through the lens exposure information from the camera to the flash and back and forth so that the camera, the flash shuts off at a certain time so that it makes the right exposure. So you can move things around and you get really creative and it becomes really, really powerful. So the problem is, unfortunately, there's some uh, really, really cheaper alternatives out there from, from China and some other folks that are making these alternatives that are like doing the Pac-Man on the Pocket Wizard brand. And according to several reports that are coming in, it looks like a lot of people, employees at Pocket Wizard are pulling the ripcord and trying to get out of there. And they're, it looks like they may have laid some people off and as a result of poor, slay, or poor uh, sales. Um, it's a quality product. I own Pocket Wizard myself. I've got four of them. And, you know, it's like one of those... It's like the wrench of photography. You got to have pocket wizards, you know, and it's 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 kind of disheartening to see that this is happening. But I wanted to throw it at you guys. Is this just like a is this a technology that it you know it it was it served a need for its time, and now it's time for other people to come in, and it's just gonna kind of dilute it. Joseph, what do you, what do you think? You use pocket wizard, don't you? I do not use pocket wizards. Oh, I no. use I use a cheap Chinese brand. With the cowboy something or other? Uh, Photix, actually, are the ones okay. that I have. And I, I, you know, I say they're Chinese. They may not be. I have actually no idea where they're from. But you know what? They work. Now, the ones that I have are totally manual. Right? No TTL. But I don't. I almost never shoot TTL. Um, if I'm using strobes, it's a usually a controlled environment. So it's in the studio or on location, and I'm setting up. And I'm setting up lights and umbrellas and all that. Um, I'm not. You know, the, the wedding photographer shooting with strobe needs TTL. Right, that's because yeah. everything's moving fast and changing. You, you got to have that. Can't right. afford to miss the moment. In the studio, I've got time to change everything and tweak it manually and make it look the way I want it to look, not the way the camera thinks it should look. Yeah. And so these cheap wireless triggers are great. I just pulled them up on Amazon, and right now these are and these manual ones are way more advanced than the ones that I have. Fifty-five bucks for a <clears> pair. <throat> that's a transmitter and a receiver. Oh, both. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, how do you? you know, how do you? <laughs> right. I have four transmitters and eight receivers in my case, in my um, cabinet. And I can mix and match between the Profoto lights and little Canon lights, and I've got one Alien B just because it's a super, super low-powered when I need a super low-powered light. And I can mix and match them all, and I can just plug these wireless receivers into each one, and off I go. And it's great. And uh, I, looking at these expensive pocket wizards, yeah, maybe they have more range, maybe they're going to last longer, but they're at what? Five times the cost, eight times the cost, something like yeah. that. I just I can't justify it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't so know. yeah. So that 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 kind of answers the question, though, especially for photographers that are like much of our audience are new folks that are just getting into the arts. You know, they're they're all their money should be going towards lenses, <laughs> right? right? Not even camera bodies. Their money should be going towards lenses uh, because that's the thing that lasts forever. Um, and dropping a couple hundred dollars on a single unit when you need multiple units, yeah, of course you're going to go find cheaper alternatives, right? Yep. Valerie, Valerie, what about you? I mean, are you familiar with Pocket Wizard? Yeah, I used to own some uh, when I had a studio, and I sold them. Actually, they, they sold for almost the price of new because they <laughs> very sought after. Um, but and they're they're really good. I mean, they're very dependable, and I and I think that's an important 
factor, but I haven't tried any of the other brands. So if, if they're equally dependable, so yeah, I mean, that's a no-brainer. You'd go for something a little cheaper and spend your money in, in glass or education or whatever. But um, yeah, they were they were very spendy. So I can see how um, now they have a lot of competi com competition for sure. Yeah, now, looking yeah. on Amazon, those, those Fotex, they even have now TTL ones, new TTL ones that are 120 bucks for a pair. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and if you just like like you said, Joseph, if you're just looking for something that's going to trigger the slave or trigger the flash, then those quote unquote dumb ones will be fine, right? Yeah, I mean, because it, it's just a switch, right? It's just yep. boom, flash goes off, you're done, you get the exposure. Especially if you're in a studio situation where it's controlled lighting anyway, you're not moving around, running, gunning, you're not, you don't have to meter, you don't have a bride over there that you're trying to light and all that stuff. Then it makes sense to use these. The pocket wizards come into play when you are in that running gun kind of mobile situation where you need multiple strobes that are talking and all that crazy stuff. Right. Which is arguably going to be a niche now. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Does this mean, Joseph, does this mean that uh, Pocket Wizard is just going to go the way of the dodo? Are they, are they done? Uh, like, you know, like Canon and so on, they've got great technologies need to find other ways to use it. Um, you know, I think in the show notes you mentioned something about should they be licensing this stuff. Yeah. And they are. Obviously, to some degree, they are licensing it. And sure, it would be great if every strobe that I bought had a wireless trigger built into it and have to worry about adding extra pieces onto it. And therefore, it makes sense to have the most reliable piece in there because it's permanent. You know, it's not an add-on that I can just throw away if it breaks. Right. So, yeah, um, you know, license it out, get it into everything. That'd be great. It's it's a great brand name. It has great recognition and great cachet among photographers, but it's certainly expensive for what it is. Um, you know, the competition is really hitting them hard. So, like, can you patent? I mean, did they? I mean, like, for example, the the, the dumb the dumb triggers like that you have, and I hate to use the mm -hmm. word dumb because that sounds de derogatory, but they they don't do the TTL, the non TTL ones. Um, they you know, it's just a switch, which yeah. you know, you I don't think you can patent. But can you patent the TTL technology, or you know, I no what's, I mean, what's TTL there? Is a what's Canon the IP, right? So what's the intellectual property that Pocket Wizard would have to stay alive? Is what I'm I'm trying to get to. Probably how they do it. I mean, I know that when the Pocket Wizards went TTL, it was a it took a while, right? It took a long time for them to get that right, and I think the first mm -hmm. batch didn't really work right, if I recall correctly, um, and it was a real struggle. And it took them a long time to get it, and they finally got it. But now you've got you know, alternative manufacturers making effectively the same thing. Maybe it doesn't have the same range. I don't know. You know what is missing? Is it just reliability? I don't know. But at this price, I'll put three of them in my bag instead of one. Mm -hmm. And you know, my reliability. You know, if I drop a pocket wizard into the Hudson River, um, you know, no matter what I paid or didn't pay, I'm getting it back. So yeah. having backups for the same cost, it's pretty pretty attractive. Yeah, and, and I, don't know, Valerie, I don't know what they can patent. Valerie, you had a studio, so you looking at this. You know, the the other thing that popped into my head was, um, aside from the patenting and licensing and all that stuff, but was the idea that say the folks like Nikon and Canon are coming out with these speed lights that have built-in wireless technology. Obviously, like on the Nikon side with the Nikon CLS system, um, up to you have to ask Joe McNally, but what I don't know, a bazillion strobes can talk to each other and back to the camera. Uh, thereby eliminating the need for 
you know, wireless technology. Now, granted, on the Nikon side, it's line of sight because it's using infrared technology to communicate, like Morse code. Mm -hmm. On the Canon side, they outdid Nikon because they're using, in the latest strobes, the latest speed lights they have, they're using RF or wireless technology, thereby, again, eliminating the need to have any sort of pocket wizard technology or complication in the mix there. Is that the way things are going now? I mean, why doesn't why don't everyone do that? Like like Profoto and Paul C. Buff and everybody just sort of build this stuff in because clearly that's what people want. Well, exactly, and, and so yeah, Canon. It was awesome. I remember when that was available. Yeah. Uh, by then, I didn't really need the the the, the lights anymore. But um, but now that's how everything is going. Everybody wanted Wi-Fi, so you'd buy those little Wi-Fi cards, and, and now every camera has Wi-Fi in them. So um, Almost. And then, and then what, you know, then the manufacturers that made those little Wi-Fi, whatever they were called, I can't remember. Oh, the iFi cards? Yeah. iFi, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, what are they going to do? I mean, yeah. eventually people won't need them. So, well, it's kind of sad, but that's the way technology goes. So. Yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, people see something that they want, the manufacturers see it, and the marketing and engineers say, hey, people want that. Build that in into the next version, <laughs> and therefore we can sell more of that thing if we put that in there, you know. That's right, yeah. You know, it's uh, it's kind of what they do, you know. It's kind of what we did, Joseph. That was our job, right? <laughs> that was the whole thing. All right, guys, let's move on. I'm going to skip this last story. We're going to push that into next week. Uh, but before we do that, I want to give a final... Let's see. Should I jump into that? Uh, I think we'll skip that story and go right into listener Q&A. But before we do that, I want to thank our friends over... Our newest sponsor, actually, is our friends over at Data Robotics, the makers of the award-winning Drobo product. They are the newest sponsors of This Week in Photo. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Drobo. Drobos are blazingly fast, high-capacity hard drives that are built on new technology designed for high-performance media editing. The Drobo 5D sports both Thunderbolt and USB 3 interfaces, while the 5N transfers files using gigabit Ethernet on your network. Each has multi-core CPUs and a whole lot more going on under the hood. And the super cool Drobo Mini, my favorite, is designed for portability. It weighs less than three pounds and also sports Thunderbolt and USB 3 interfaces. And it also has an accelerator card that boosts performance when using applications like Adobe Lightroom, Aperture, and iPhoto. And for TWIP listeners, Drobo is knocking $50 off the price of either of these two units. Just enter the code TWIP50 on checkout at drobostore.com. All right, guys, let's jump into the listener Q&A. Let's just do one question. This is from listener Gareth Davies from our Google Plus community page. He says, do you have any guidance on how to work up a pricing model for charity events? And uh, the rest of the question is, I've been asked to provide a quote for a black tie awards ceremony where tickets are sold at 150 bucks. The charity also attracts mid-sized companies to sponsor the event. I want to provide a quote that is reasonable, but still covers my time. Now, both of you guys are clearly overqualified to answer this question, so either one of you can take it. Joseph, why don't you take it first? What do you think? <laughs> oh, goodness. I don't know if there's a right way to do it, but something like that I would look at. Um, if he says that there are companies that are sponsoring it, then does he want to be a, a sponsor, quote-unquote sponsor of it? Does he want to donate his time and have his name... You know, in in uh, 
if people are sponsoring, they're getting their name plastered places, that sort of thing. Is that worth it to him, or is it just a regular job? If it's yeah. just a regular job, you know, chances are the caterer is not getting doing it for any cheaper. The decorator is probably not doing it for any cheaper. The lighting tech, the DJ, they're all getting paid full price. So I wouldn't, you know, charge any less than any other type of event. Now, if they they say, well, look, the caterer is taking you know 50% off and all these other things, then okay, then you can approach it that way. And if you are going to give a discount, what I always recommend is let's just say that you're going to charge uh, just, you know, say 100 bucks or something. $100 is your fee, but you're only going to charge 50 Don't give them an invoice for 50 Give them an invoice that shows 100 minus $50, you know, $50 courtesy discount. Oh, so they yeah, see yeah. that. So there's no, well, last time we hired you, it only cost 50 bucks. Well, yeah, but that was for that event. Remember it was a deal? Well, nice. yeah, but you only, it was only 50 bucks last time. This way you can say, no, no, look, it was 100 and I gave you a $50 discount. So whenever I'm doing discounts, even if it's free, if I'm giving something away for free, I will give an invoice that shows $1,000 services provided, $1,000 discount, balance due zero. Love it. Yeah. Otherwise, you're cheapening yourself. You know, I would I would piggyback on that. Even if you're doing like friends and family type photographs, you know, which we all get roped into doing from time to time, you know, like, you know, that's your 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 like Valerie, not of your son. Don't charge your son. But, <laughs> you have an invoice. <laughs> don't invoice the kid like on his pillow tonight. So, like, <laughs> no, like for like friends and family, like you know, distant family. This, hey, you're a photographer. Can you do some uh, family photos of us? We all get that, right? Invoice I never bring them. my camera to family functions. But but invoice them. Like if they say, yeah, I want you to do some family shots of us in the park. Don't just go out there and shoot it. Invoice them and and follow Joseph Joseph's advice and say, okay, you know, normally for this kind of shoot, I charge 250 bucks, but I love you guys, so I'm only charging you 249. Or so, <laughs> <laughs> or I'm charging, you know, I'm giving you a 250 dollar discount. So they look at it and on their side, they're like, wow. You just gave us two hundred and fifty dollars. Other otherwise, if you just do it, they're like, oh yeah, he does it all the time. He just did it in his spare time. He would have been watching, you know, you know, House of Cards anyway. So, you know. yeah, I so, don't know yeah. if you could do that so for family work. though. That that family though, that might get you in some. I'm talking water. like not close nuclear family. I'm talking <laughs> aunts and uncles and people that you don't care about. You know. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> those the kind of people you see at holidays and stuff, you know, yeah. those, those folks. You know. <laughs> I'm gonna get email for this. Anyway. Yeah, you are. <laughs> well, Uncle bring Frederick. it, bring it on, bring it on, bring it to me at WPPI. How about that? Come to the <laughs> meeting. Right. I don't know, Valerie. You have anything to add to this? Well, I, I've done this kind of events before, uh, years ago. Um, I've I've done a lot of things. <laughs> That's why I teach now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're like I'm done with all that crap. <laughs> exactly. Um, and and, and sometimes, yeah, I've done it as a sponsor, and I've done it um, as a paid job. Um, also, you have to see. I, I mean, they're going to require a. a you know the the pictures, the high res, low res. What are they, what are they going to need? Are they going to need the pictures for the web? Are you going to be able to sell pictures? Are you going to take portraits of people on the right carpet or whatever? Mm -hmm. Then you have to make sure if you if um, you can sell those yourself, um, make sure the company who has hired you or whatever the event um, planner doesn't make those available before you do, right. and uh, and make sure that they. Um, 
they advertise your service by linking whatever your smug mug uh, store or whatever to get people to your site so that they can purchase their portrait if they were photographed even in a candid situation it's always fun but the key is to have that out within a few days in three weeks people won't even care to look at those pictures um, you need to to get those pictures out there for sale within a week on, on, when you were doing that them. when you were doing that Valerie on a like best case scenario did people actually buy the candidates I mean because I, I hear a lot of people saying you know what people you gotta get paid up front because no one's gonna buy those candidates later nobody wants those oh, I mean, is, and it, is that true? They'll buy like they have uh, their picture taken with the governor or right. you know, some some famous people who are uh, at the event uh, they'll buy those um, they'll, couples will buy pictures I mean sometimes they dress up and they have their picture taken and they'll, they'll buy those if the pictures are good uh, but they have to they have to have access to them really quickly and no you're not gonna make much money selling those pictures because most people will buy you know uh, you have to make them available as electronic files like small res for the web mm -hmm. and people mm -hmm. will buy that any day uh, versus a print so you're not gonna make much money so make sure either you get a really good um, some really good advertising through that and it's worth your time and you're also doing it because the you know you believe in that charity event or whatever it is yeah. that cause and uh, or get paid your as as uh, Joseph said get paid um, you know give them a break uh, mm -hmm. but get paid for the event make it worth your while nothing's yeah. free I love that, uh, Joseph. That that idea is great because you could, mm -hmm. you even if it's a charity event, you could you could discount yourself, still get paid so that your time is covered. You're not working for free, and the discount amount you could say, okay, that's you know my charitable contribution to this event. You know, is yeah. my time, and it's worth X amount of dollars. Yeah, I'm not sure. I seem to recall talking to my accountant about that years ago about donating time like that and it doesn't you can't use that if, if I remember right and obviously you know preface this I'm not an accountant I'm not a tax expert but as I recall um, you can't give services like that and write them off on your taxes which would be the mm. the goal of that of you know a contribution sure. I want to say I donated a thousand dollars to this event if you donate a thousand dollars for the prints then that's different but just a thousand dollars worth of your time it doesn't work that way that's yeah. what I recall yeah no way but, to get um, the system. You know, and it's something you can do maybe once a year or twice a year, but if if it's going to give you some business, I mean, some of those companies may hire you, you know, make sure your card is available and, and things. I mean, we've I think we've all done gigs like that mm -hmm. at one point or another. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, it, it pays off, but um, I wouldn't make a habit of it. Yeah. Well, Gareth Davies from our Google Plus community page, I hope this somehow answered your question. I know I got some good data out of it, so, you know, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. He didn't mean it, I love you, Gareth. I love you, but, you know, it's all about me. All right, so uh, on to the picks of the week. This is the segment where you guys, are the guests on the show, can recommend something to the audience that's photography-related. Valerie... I'm going to throw it to you first. What's your pick of the week? Okay. Well, you guys all know that I've been shooting with uh, my little Fuji X100. What is that? I didn't see it. I didn't see it. You just splashed it up there. I, I love it. Uh, but I've also been shooting with Samsung gear, and uh, I'm one of the Samsung image loggers. So they're not paying me to say this, um, and I don't, you know, I, I wasn't so excited about some of, of the gear, but I'm really excited about this one, and it's the um, NX300. 
That looks like it's, my GX7. <laughs> it's um, it's right now. The thing is, right now on Amazon, you can get it for 550 bucks. It's a mirrorless, um, 20 megapixel built-in Wi-Fi APS-C sensor with phase detection, autofocus, 8.6 frame per second. Uh, it has a large tilt um, touchscreen. It's super small, light. Um, and it's really retro looking. It's that brown leather where you can pick with black or white and then that brushed steel. And for because a lot of the mirrorless system starts at a thousand and yeah. up. Yeah. You know, for five fifty, um, you can get it well the, the kit lens is not that great. I would recommend the thirty millimeter pancake lens, which is what I have on this one. Uh, it's a two point oh nice little lens. I love this little camera. It's it's lighter, it's more comfortable actually than the Fuji. Um, the only thing it's not as quiet as the Fuji, so for street photography that's a little bit of a drawback for me, but um, it fits in my pocket. Yeah. I mean in my coat great. pocket. That is great. So that is, look at these um, choices we have. That stuff is just crazy that we have so many choices. So it it you know, you take that instead of your DSLR, you won't compromise on quality, but you're gonna have fun with it. So then, what's, the, what's the price point of that again? It's five fifty on Amazon. List price is normally seven ninety nine, but it's five fifty on Amazon with I think the kit lens. Okay. Cool. And and then and then Samsung has some really good lenses. You don't think of Samsung for cameras usually. You mm -hmm. think phone, TVs, but um, but keep I think an eye Galaxy, on them. Galaxy S whatever. Yeah. The Galaxy, yeah, and the. Um, I, I also tried the the Galaxy NX camera with uh, Samsung. It's a bigger camera. It's that super connected uh, 4G camera. Mm -hmm. It's a little too much connectivity for me. <laughs> I don't even use the Wi-Fi on this one. But um, but you know, anybody, everybody wants Wi-Fi on their camera now, and this little camera is pretty awesome. I, I had it. I had some of my students try it in, in Melbourne, and everybody thought that was pretty cool. And the touch screen, touch focus, it's really fast. It's good for the price. Yeah. It's Valerie, great you, value. Great value. When you're out on these workshops, like in Melbourne, what what were you shooting as your primary camera? I know it's different as an instructor because you're busy kind of yeah. you know pollinating the different participants. But <laughs> but what do you have with you? Um, I had the X100S about 75% of the time. Um, other times I uh, used the um, little NX300 with the 16 millimeter lens because I wanted to, to test that little lens uh, for the wide angle. So that's it. That's all I had. I can fit both in my little retrospective five bag. So, wow. And I still have room for uh, you know, a snack. And that's retrospective. That's Think Tank, right? Is that Think Tank? Yeah, the little one, the tiny one, the retrospective five. I can fit both cameras. I could put I could put a third one in there. Isn't that so. crazy? That is that is just, that just makes me happy that you know. <laughs> I don't know. And then with Joseph, Joseph like bringing on the the travel to Vegas and only carry an iPad. So you have your mirrorless kit and an iPad, and you got your entire you know the only thing that's bulky is your tripod at that point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I had my uh, 11 inch MacBook Air. Um, I was traveling light, and it was awesome. You know, I used to travel with that the the rolling camera bag with <laughs> two DSLR bodies and you know a bunch of lenses, and yeah. oh, I don't miss those days at all. We're serious. You were a real photographer back then, weren't you? <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> People took me seriously. <laughs> wow, cool. All right, Valerie, thanks for that. I appreciate yep. it.
All right, Joseph, what's your pick of the week? All right, mine is a inexpensive little iOS app, and so I'm just going to do a quick little screen share for those who are going to be watching this. Yeah, do it. Um, let's see here. This is what it looks like. So this, oh, gosh, Google plug-in denied. Okay, well, I'll just talk about it. So, oh, there it is. I see it. Oh, it I is showing up? For a minute, and then it, there it is. I can it see is. It. Okay, good. Um, so this is a just an image editing tool for iOS, and this works both on your iPad and on your phone. And it's, uh, you know, like any other image editing tool, it has all these different filters and noise and vignetting and all that sort of thing. But what's on screen now is the key reason that I absolutely love this app, and it is curves. This has real curves in it. So this is what I used probably for 90% of the shots that I posted on the Mercedes job. They were all processed through here because is for those who can see the screenshot, it's not just a Luma curve, but you have separate RGB curves as well. So you really have an incredible amount of control over the image just on your phone or on your tablet. And I think the quality of it is great. The quality of the noise pattern, if you want to add noise to it, is great. And I just I loved it. So between that and iPhoto, I pretty much was everything that I needed uh, on the uh, on the iOS on the tablet. Nice. So what is it? What's, what's it called again? <clears throat> Matbox. M A T T E B O X. Matbox. And I think it's all of four ninety nine, if I'm not mistaken. Awesome. I will download that today. Definitely right after the show. Awesome. Anything else? Um, well, I, I added the origami keyboard case that I talked about earlier, so that is okay. on the on the list. You can put that in the show notes. But yeah, if you've got if you're going hyper portable here with a uh, a tablet, you know, just your iPad, and uh, you want to be able to type on a full-size keyboard every once in a while because, let's face it, that sometimes you still need, need to type out long dissertations, Then, and a Siri isn't quite there yet. So, yeah, the keyboard is great. It's just a nice little case, protects the keyboard, and folds into a stand for the iPad. It's super convenient. Really cool. Awesome. All right, Joseph, so the the curves that you mentioned in Mac bo Matbox, I, saw, I was driving actually today, and I saw this bumper sticker on the back of a car that said, real women have curves. Could they, <laughs> was that, were they talking about that? or Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what they were talking about. <laughs> okay, I thought so, because the first thing that came to my mind was like, you know, histograms and curves, so I don't know. Cool. <laughs> All right, guys, so my pick of the week is a company called Flixel.com. I think I talked about them on the show before. They, they kind of came on the scene with an iOS app for iPhone only, then it migrated up to the iPad, and just yesterday, what's today, Wednesday? Yeah, so yesterday, Tuesday, um, December 25th, 2014, they released their Mac desktop version. Now this is a professional version of the software. So what does Flixel do? So what it does, the, the app is called Cinemagraph Pro and what it does is it lets you essentially create those still images that have just a little bit of motion in them. Like you may see a shot of a woman standing, like sitting on a horse with a scarf blowing. Everything else is a still photograph and only the scarf is blowing or you know, maybe the eyes are blinking or, you know, something like that where there's just a splash of motion in there. But they do it, the Cinemagraph Pro app does it professionally and, it, and it's seamless. Now, one of the, I, I interviewed the founder, uh, Mark Holmesa. He's one of the, one of the co-founders and the chief marketing officer for the company. I interviewed him. We're going to, we're going to run that interview next week after WPPI. But the, uh, he, one of the things, I asked him in that interview, you're playing devil's advocate, why would someone use your software when there's tools out there like Creative Cloud and Photoshop and After Effects when you can do all this stuff in there. And his response was basically 
what would take you literally eight hours to rotoscope and do in an application like After Effects, notwithstanding the learning curve to learn the app, you can do literally in a couple of minutes, you know, with one hand while watching TV in this app. So it makes it all really simple. So they, they've got a really interesting flow because it's, you know, like I said, it's on the iPhone. You can download, I think it's free on the iPhone. I think it may be a charge on the iPad. It may be free there. I'm not sure. But regardless, it's like under five bucks. Regardless, you get this thing. You can create all these cool flixels on iOS. Then if you decide you want to do professional quality, high-end work like what you guys would do, Joseph and Valerie, then you, you double down and buy this app. Um, the desktop app, and then you can really get into details and you know um, high quality masking and stuff there. So oh, just I, wanted to I put that out there. Details. What's that? <laughs> I don't do details or masking. Or anything. <laughs> like, I just take pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I just take pictures. I make pictures. There you go. There you go. He's like a Kodak commercial. <laughs> <laughs> don't take pictures. Make pictures. <laughs> Cool. So, yeah, definitely check them out, flixel.com, and, um, yeah, we'll put a link to them in the show notes. And next week, keep an eye out for the interview. Actually, it'll be next week or the week, the following week that we'll run the interview. Um, it'll be a video. One of the cool things about Flixel is the company was founded, like I said, by Mark Holmesa and uh, some other folks, and they built, built the company in collaboration with Tyra Banks, who you may know from America's Next Top Model. And Tyra... You know, she and I are on a first-name basis because I've never met her. Um, Tyra, Tyra uh, did a whole season of America's Next Top Model where the the goal, you don't have to do the, have to do the projects. The goal of each uh, challenge was to create an animated portrait or one of these Flixel things. So it's a big deal. I think it's pretty cool. I think it's, a, it's very much at least photographers taking a look at the Flixel.com site to see what they're doing and how it works and see if it's something that, you know, might tickle your creative juices or something. All right, guys, um, that's it. We're at, a, at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. I want to, you know, thank our friends over at, geez, who sponsors? Squarespace.com, uh, FreshBooks, and Data Robotics all pitched in to help make this episode possible. So a huge thank you to those guys. Also, stay tuned at the end of this episode. There's a very special interview it's not with Mark Holmesa. It's actually with Juan Pons, who's a friend of mine. Um, we did a did an interview earlier this week where we talked about landscape photography, his joy for that, and he gave a bunch of tips on how to get out there and actually do really cool in-your-face landscape photography. And he talks about how he almost froze to death in uh, <laughs> in uh, one of our national parks here. Was it, it wasn't Yosemite. It was Yellowstone in Yellowstone National Park. So, yeah, definitely stay tuned to listen to that interview at the end of this. So, Valerie, where can people go to uh, keep up with you online after the show? Um, my website, and then they can find all the social media stuff, and it's valeriejardinphotography.com, V-A-L-E-R-I-E-J-A-R-D-I-N, photography, all in one word. Awesome. Thank you. Once again, Thank always you. a pleasure having you on the show, Valerie. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. And also, Mr. Joseph Linashki, where can people find you? Well, for the world of photography, photojoseph.com, and for all things Aperture, it's apertureexpert.com. Excellent. Easy, clean, and to the point. Perfect. All right, and folks, if you want to visit our new website, we recently relaunched it about a month ago at thisweekinphoto.com. And if you want to touch base with me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com. And a special shout-out to our friends at Sony, specifically our friend Num Num 
at Sony, you know who you are. <laughs> so, and with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. All right, folks, I'm sitting here with a fellow podcaster, friend of mine, a fellow podcaster, a fellow photographer, and a friend. It's Juan Pons. He's one of the guys behind the digital photo experience. He's an accomplished uh, wildlife photographer. He travels all over the place doing amazing photography and teaching people how to do that photography. He's here with me via Google Plus Hangouts to talk about all of that stuff. Wildlife photography, travel, his podcast, etc., etc. Juan Pons, welcome to This Week in Photo. Well, Frederick, thank you for thank you for having me, and thank you for that illustrious introduction. I, I mean, I want to know who this person is that you just it's described. It's you, man. It's all you. <laughs> Oh, thank you. No, I'm 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 glad to be here, and uh, thank you for for having me. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you for coming on. So let, let's let's start it off with um, just a little bit about your background and and where you got started in photography and all that stuff. Where what's the what's the origin story of Juan Pons? Well, you know, it's interesting. I um I, as opposed to a lot of people who talk about being um, self-taught or whatnot, I actually had an incredible photography teacher in high school, mm. and she I credit her with you know who I am as a photographer today. She was amazing. Um, this is obviously in the days of film when we actually, you know, counted every time we clicked on that shutter, yeah. um, how much each of those shots cost yeah, us. It actually made the sound, ka-ching. And, you know, I, I was very fortunate to actually go to this school that had this incredible photography program. And, um, you know, and she was awesome because she really taught us about the fundamentals of photography. She didn't advocate any one style or anything like that. She just encouraged us to experiment. Um, and, you know, and, and that's really what got me into it. And then after that, after high school, I went to college and I actually put myself through college partly on photography. Wow. I was the official school photographer um, when I was in college. And, but I have to tell you, it was the most uh, profitable student job on campus. I made the most money out of any other student um, uh, position in, on campus. And the best thing about it is, you know, what they would do is they would call me, send me an email and say, hey, we need you for for three hours to shoot this. And I'd be like, I go by, pick up the film, go shoot for three hours, return the film, and give an invoice. <laughs> that <Nice>. was it. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, yeah, see, um, that's, that's, uh, that's the way to do it, right? Oh, I, yeah. I mean, it was very fortunate, you know, and it, and it gave me a lot of experience because, you know, I was doing this day in and day out, you know, kind of, you know, practicing the craft. Talk about, you know, being under pressure, practicing the craft and producing work that people actually needed or wanted. Yeah. Um, you know, and after that, I, uh, you know, I was a computer engineer. I was doing a lot of photography on the side still, but yeah, I wasn't really doing it that seriously. And then um, at the time I was living in Massachusetts, finally when I moved to North Carolina for where I lived for about 12 years, um, I was taken aback again by all the nature in, uh, in North Carolina. Living in Boston, there wasn't that much nature around us except, you know, some of the student wildlife. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I picked it back up. And uh, because I was, a you know, an engineer already dealing with computers and, you know, designing computer systems and uh, large e-commerce installations, um, when digital photography came around, to me, it was like a natural thing to pick up. 
and very quickly I became known about, you know, for my knowledge on the digital photography. I remember this was like the very beginning. This is what, um, 98, 97? Oh, when yeah, you were right at the beginning, yeah. At the very beginning, you know, I remember buying that Canon um, D30, not the 30D, the D30. Yeah. Three, three megapixel digital SLR, cost $4,500 in 1998. Wow. Um, you still have it? You know, I don't, but I will tell you something. I bought that camera thinking, you know, I'm going to shoot half digital, half film or whatnot. The day before, the day I bought that camera was the last time I've ever shot film. Really? You never went back, huh? You didn't look back. Since that time, since I bought that camera and since the first pictures I took with that camera, I have not shot film since. Not once, believe it or not. Wow. Uh, three, like three years later, I went back, picked up my Canon EOS 3. And it, I, it was in a closet somewhere, and I'm like, oh, man, there's still a roll of slides in here, a Provia. <laughs> did you, did and I sent that in to be developed. Yes, I did. I did. I can't remember what was on it, but it couldn't have been anything spectacular. I was so smitten um, at the time. You know, and the reason was, for me, was because I was already scanning my, my slides. Yeah. I was working Photoshop, and even though I was shooting uh, Velvia and Provia uh, slide film, as soon as I got the film back, I was scanning it, you know, with the slide scanners, and then bringing it to Photoshop and doing my own printing and all that kind of stuff. So for me, digital was just a natural evolution. It's just, you know, it, it cut off that middle step. Yeah, it removed it, simplified film, Simplified it, and it made it, quote-unquote, cheaper because, you know, Phil, you know, the cameras and the memory cards are super expensive. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell me, how did you transition into doing, like, the workshops? I know you were you were at Yellowstone recently, and you're you're all over the place, and your work is just insane. I mean, like, wolves and bears and... I mean, yeah, like, thank you. Like, no, um, tell me about that. Um, well, I mean, it, it really came out of that, you know, because I was so into doing the digital work that I had a lot of... Um, uh, camera clubs and organizations come to me and say, you know, can you tell us about this digital stuff? Because mm -hmm. for a lot of people, that was kind of a newfangled thing. They didn't really understand it. Um, so I just came in to teach about, you know, tell them about what the digital photography was all about, you know, what you needed, how it worked, and all that kind of stuff. And I will tell you, there were a couple of times that I thought I was going to be chased out of there with pitchforks. Really? People were, people were saying, oh, this is not photography. This is computer you know, tomfoolery yeah. or something along those lines. This is lines. heresy. How dare you they, challenge our silver halide-based processes? Exactly. I mean, it was absolutely nuts. I, there were a couple of times I thought I was going to be chased with pitchforks. I'm serious. Yeah. Um, and that sort of turned in one thing to another. Then people decided, you know, they started seeing my work at the time. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was going in more for the technical aspect. They started seeing my work. They wanted to go some of the places that I was going to shoot. So, you know, one thing led to another. And then I was turned to do workshops and, you know, and um, at one point I said, you know, this is working out. Um, people are liking what I do. They enjoy my workshops. So I sort of kept expanding and whatnot. And now I do the workshops all over the country. But my big specialty is Yellowstone. I do workshops in Yellowstone every year, especially the winter ones. Those are the ones that are most special to me and, and, um, and to participants. I have people that come that have been with me to Yellowstone two, three years in a row. Oh, wow. Uh, which, you know, I guess it makes me feel good that these people are coming over and over again with me out to Yellowstone. Isn't it, uh, was it a little chilly there last time you were there? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you, and we were talking about this a little bit before, but um, I, this is the second coldest I've ever been in my life. Wow. Um, when we got to Yellowstone, we got 
from the locals a lot of complaints that it had been a warm winter, not a lot of snow. Mm -hmm. uh, but now I live in Maine, so I guess I brought this polar vortex with me when I went down to Wyoming. Yeah. And you know, the second day we were there, it was minus 21 Fahrenheit in the morning, and we were out shooting for a couple hours. Few days after that, it got down to minus 36. Fahrenheit. That, you know, I don't think we were, like, created to live in that kind of environment, you know, especially if you're coming from San Juan, Puerto Rico, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's funny you mentioned that because, yes, I come from the tropics, but, you know, I hate the heat. I prefer the cold to the heat. However, <laughs> minus 36 is taking a little too far. <laughs> yeah, that's when the liquids in your body, your eyeballs start freezing, and yeah, that's not good. That's well, not I'll, good. I'll share with you an image uh, of me. I took a selfie. You know, I never do selfies, but I had to do a selfie yeah. of me because I had frost on my eyelashes. I had frost uh. on my eyebrows. It was, it, you know, it was just so incredible. My phone, my iPhone stopped working. It actually shut down because wow. it was too cold. That was a hint for you to get. <laughs> if Siri says, you know what, I'm sorry, I'm done. You know, <laughs> yeah, it might be time. So, what what about your cameras in that environment? What were you shooting, and how did it hold up to that to that harsh environment? I would say, out of everything I had on me, including body parts, the camera held out the best. <laughs> really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's amazing to me. I mean, that the cameras held out as well as they did. You know, I, I use. Um, a, a, a Canon 5D Mark III as well as a 70 as my mm -hmm. backup. Sure. And, you know, the batteries lasted me multiple days, you know, or one day or multiple days easily. Because yeah. remember, the thing is, you know, you're holding your camera a lot of times by the grip. So your hand is providing some sort of protection mm -hmm. um, to the camera. So usually you don't have that big of an issue with the batteries. And that's, I mean, that's a common question that comes from the workshop participants and whatnot is, you know, do I need to carry extra batteries and put it in my pockets and whatnot? Mm -hmm. And you know these lithium-ion batteries are, are are amazing, and they last a very long time. And you know, yeah, if I think if I left my camera on a tripod for three hours, maybe by that time <laughs> the battery would have would have quit. Yeah. But the fact that you're you're holding the camera often and whatnot, it, 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 they were fine. I you know, um, last time I said this was the second coldest I've been. The f coldest I've been was in Yellowstone, also back in I think 2007, and it was minus 40 degrees. Oh, uh, a little bit of trivia. When you say minus 40 degrees, you don't need to specify Fahrenheit or Celsius because both scales meet at minus 40. It's the same. <laughs> it, it's just See, really that's cold. A, that's a world that I just, you know, let's just say I lived in Chicago, so I, I'm familiar with the cold. Uh, yeah. But I now live in California happily. <laughs> so yeah. so uh, I migrated and stayed put. You know, cold, I don't agree with cold. But, you uh, know, I will tell you, back then in 2007, I did have a few issues with the temperature, but not this time around. Um, it was fine. And, you know, I, you know kind of we're, we're joking about this cold or whatnot. And I will tell you, on this, I had two workshops back-to-back -back in Yellowstone this, this past winter. And on the second one, I had a group of friends, uh, four friends from Mexico. Um, you know, people that are used to really warm weather, you know, sure, kind of like yeah. me. Yeah. And when they signed up for this, they were calling me trying to figure out, you know, what should I wear? What should I wear? You know, they didn't have anything that was warm. And I was, I have to tell you, I was so proud of them because they all did incredibly well, even in the minus 36 degree weather. Really? Yeah. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Cause you got that thin blood, man, you know, coming from yeah. tropical environments, you don't need that thick blood like the Northern <laughs> 
him and spherical people need. <laughs> yeah. yeah but you know, but it but it's worth it. Yellowstone is a magical place, especially in the winter. It's a, it's a it's just mind blowing. And we had some incredible photographic experience. We had, you know, a snowy bison, you know, like there's no tomorrow because it was so cold. They all get yeah. covered in frost and and whatnot. We had we got about three feet of snow while I was there during the two weeks that I was there. Um, we got some incredible in, interactions with some bobcats. Um, we got bobcats fighting with coyotes. Um, so you know, just just some some beautiful what, beautiful what it, work. What lens are you shooting with that? Are you shooting like a 600 mil lens, or what's what's the your lens of choice? Um, my lens of choice is usually 500. That's that's okay. my sort of go-to lens. It's 504 from Canon, um, which is an un, uh, unbelievable lens. A 600 would be nicer, but the 600 is so much heavier and so much bigger mm-hmm. um, that I like the the 500. That 200 to 400, I used it a little bit also, and it actually becomes really useful for large animals like the bison's and whatnot. Sure. But for the smaller animals that are far away, the 500, 600s are still the best. And I, I use that a lot in conjunction also with a 1.4 teleconverter. I, I I'm not afraid of doing that at all. Wow. Geez. So what does that bring you out to on a on a 500 um, mil lens, like 1200? No, for 500 times 1.5, I think it's 720 or something 720? along those lines. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I'm shooting full frame, so. Um, but you know, and also that that's the one of the great things about the Canon 5D Mark III, the quality of that, of the image that images that come out of the camera, are so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that you can do some cropping and still, you know, end up with some some beautiful beautiful work that you can you can blow up and print really nicely and big. See, that's a that's a good segue into my next question. So, post processing, take me through your post processing workflow, and how do you, you know, is it a Lightroom based workflow? Are you sticking in Photoshop? What's the deal? I am I am ninety nine percent Lightroom. Um, yeah, I've been using Lightroom since you know since the beginning of time. I think since yeah. the dark ages. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, big advocate of Lightroom. I you know, and I you know, and the funny thing is, I spent so much time of my life in front of computers, you know, I was a computer engineer designing large computer systems and whatnot, that I like to do as little post-processing as possible um, because I like to spend as little time as I have to in front of my computer, you know, editing my, my images. So that's why one of the reasons I love Lightroom so much is because I develop a very, very quick workflow that allows me to go through and edit and um, adjust my images very, very quickly, um, as well as the culling process, you know, when you, especially when you shoot wildlife, you're shooting, you know, hundreds, you know, you're very trigger happy, you're shooting hundreds and hundreds of images. You have to, and right? Yeah. Absolutely. To capture that perfect pose or that perfect, you know, interaction or action between two animals, you have to shoot a lot of frames. Um, so the editing aspect of it is also really important, which Lightroom is, you know, I think that one of the best tools to do that in, to go through all your work and actually edit it and call it down to to that work that's that's the best. But yeah, Lightroom for me, you know, I use Photoshop a little bit for certain things, you know, um, for stitching, for example, when I shoot panoramas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Photoshop is, is amazing. Um, and I'm actually using now Photoshop and going with Lightroom to do my HDRs. Mm. As well, so mm-hmm. I do that 32-bit editing in Lightroom by by merging the images in in Photoshop themselves. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I use Photoshop a little bit when I need to do some extensive um, cloning. If there's yeah. a power line, surgery, or something like that. Yeah. yeah, surgery. Yeah. Um, but yeah, again, you know, my my rule of thumb, you know, I teach a lot of Lightroom in in a lot of different places, and my rule of thumb is I'm just, I spend about three to five minutes on an image. If I spend more than that, I stop. I don't. I, it wasn't good enough of an image for me. It's re, it's weird because I hear I hear the 
you know, everything's different, you know, for photographers, different genres, different gear, different skill sets, all that stuff. Um, So there's no one right thing to do photography. Um, But I hear, you know, like you're, you're at the far end of the spectrum, like you spend very little time and get really great results. And then on the other side is some folks that like, treat it like an art piece, right? So they have this image, it's the raw material, and they're going to spend days perfecting that one shot to make it ready to release to the world, you know? So it's it's interesting to hear the different perspectives of on how you approach getting in there and getting out. See, I, I, you're absolutely right, and there's no one or wrong, you know, right or yeah. wrong way of doing it. It's just different depending on your craft, the way you like to do things. See, I prefer to spend much more time out in the field. Yeah. I spend, a, I prefer to spend much more time out with the animals that I'm shooting to learn their behavior, yeah. and all that. Um, if I had to spend all that time, as much time as I spend out in the field with the animals, and then I had to spend that much time in the dark room, I wouldn't do anything else. <laughs> right. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to eat. I wouldn't be able to sleep because that's, all my time would be consumed. There's only so much things. time in the day to do the stuff. Right. 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 So what right. about what about um, the the sharing? So once you you created the shots, you know, you're say you're uh, Yellowstone, you've got your images, you bring them back in the Lightroom, you've called through them, you processed them, you've got the heroes that you want to share out. Then what? Like, what do you do with those final images? What's the final destination for that for that imagery you create? It's a bunch of different different ways. I mean, I, I share quite a bit, um, or as much as I can through, like, for example, Google Plus. I, not as mm-hmm. good as much as I should because I'm always so busy, yeah. um, and um, and I'm more of an introvert. So, <laughs> I you know, the sharing of the social media for me, I don't want to say it's work, but it's not something I sort of you know relish or you know hang out online all that much. Yeah. Um, but I just you're anti-social with, one. Is that what you're saying? Nah, I'm not anti-social. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm I'm just more of an introvert. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, I hear you. Um, and uh, so I share through there. You know, I share with my workshop participants. For example, when I run workshops after the fact, I keep in touch with a lot of these folks, and we set up. I set up uh, structures either in Dropbox or different places for us to share images, and um, even do some uh, coaching ahead of. You know, after the fact, as far as editing or culling and things of the nature of the images they produced. Um, and um, I sell images also to uh, certain organizations. I don't do stock photography per se, but I I deal a lot with a lot of. Um, conservation-based organizations like mm-hmm. museums and the Audubon Society and places like that that use my images. Um, and then I also print, you know, I print some of the work and I, I used to do a lot of print sales. I'm not doing as much anymore, but I still do those from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I use my work for the teaching that I do as well. I do a lot of teaching across the, the country and I use a lot of my work as examples um, while I do that teaching. Wonderful. Awesome. What a great conversation this is. So where what's next for you? What's the next <laughs> workshop you got going on, you know, or what, where can people like come join you on one of these minus 50 below adventures? No, no, no. That's a unique kind of workshop. Now my my next one is actually a very docile workshop. <laughs> okay, good. Um, good. you know, I, I've been doing these workshops for almost 10 years now in North Carolina. Um, waterfall workshops where we actually know this location, this 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 one county in North Carolina that has over 300 waterfalls in just this one county. Mm. Um, and I spent a lot of time there. I lived in North Carolina for a long time. Spent a lot of time there scouting all the different waterfalls and take people to shoot water. Um, and I've done that for the past 10 years. This year, I'm not doing a North Carolina waterfalls workshop. I'm taking a break from that. Um, and this year, I'm doing something a little different, um, kind of experimental. Um, I'm also big into camping. I have an Airstream camper that I travel with 
quite often, and I oh, go so on a lot of projects. I'm jealous. I want one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're awesome. Um, and I've gotten a lot of requests from people that know the photography and the camping, you know, the Airstream stuff. They said, you know, you got to do a camping photo workshop. Hmm. I've, hear, I've heard this for a number of years now. Um, so this year, I'm doing another waterfall workshop, but this time in Pennsylvania. Um, and it is this spectacular state park in Pennsylvania that in this little trail, there are 26, I think 22 or 26 named waterfalls in just this one little trail. And we're going to spend four days shooting waterfalls. And they have a spectacular campground right at that same state park. So it's kind of, you know, some, some of the people, not everybody that's coming is going to be staying in a tent or a camper or anything like that. Some people are going to stay in hotels. But about half the people will be camping um, cool. there as well. So, and this is a, you know, I've been to this place before a number of times and I really love it. I've, I've gotten, I've learned it pretty well. Um, but this is the first time I'm doing a camping slash photography workshop. So um, I'm really looking forward to that. And, and I have to tell you, I was very surprised. This, this workshop sold out in four days. Oh, it sold so, out. Oh, I was gonna, yeah. I was gonna tell people, hey, go here to sign up for it. It's already gone. So now so you, do, all, yeah. you have to do more. <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, like I said, this was an experiment. I wasn't sure how, what, what the uptake was gonna be, and sure. I, I'm yeah. blown away. So, I will certainly be doing this again. Um, I got I'm, I'm working on some things and uh, doing uh, some scouting this summer. I'm going out to Yellowstone. I'm actually driving my camper from Maine to Montana. Um, to Yellowstone, I'm going to spend five weeks um, and going to be scouting a lot of different places between here and there for a possible future adventure like this. That's so we'll great. see. What a life! What a life you've created. That's amazing. You you sound you sound. I can feel the energy. You sound like you're just having such a good time doing all this stuff. Congratulations on that. Well, thank you. I mean, yeah, that um, you know, it's you work hard at this, and you know, as with anything, you work hard and you persist, and um, you know, you can you can make things work out in the end. Absolutely. Juan Pons, thank you for uh, coming on this week in photo. Your URL is juanpons.org, right? Did I get that right? That's right. Well, thank, yeah. thank you, Frederick, for having me. I uh, really enjoy, always enjoy talking to you, and uh, we should do this more often. We're going to have you on the uh, Digital Photo Experience podcast soon uh, with Rick yes. and I. So. Yeah, yeah, we didn't even mention that. Yeah, you're, uh, you're on a podcast with Rick Salmon. The, uh, you guys co-host a podcast called the Digital Photo, Digital Photography or Digital Photo Experience, right? Digital Photo Experience, and you know, and I want to say it's April 15th will be our 100th podcast. Congratulations. That's a milestone. That means that means it's stuck, right? So you're going to keep going. <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, well, you know, the thing is, we, Rick and I like to say it's not work for us. It's fun. Rick and yeah. I love, I mean, we get along so great and we, we talk. You know, as, as you know, when you do these things, you get to the point where you have, you develop such a rapport with someone that it just becomes natural. It's like talking yes. to them. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. Rick and I have developed that over time. It's been now over four, three years that we've been doing the podcast. So yeah, yeah. For this week in photo, I say it's not. It's not. You say it's not work. It's fun. I say it's not work. It's therapy. It's my weekly therapy. <laughs> <laughs> we just do this. It's weekly group therapy for photographers. <laughs> well, I mean, it's saving you a lot of money from the real therapy, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's keeping me sane. That's for sure. Yeah. Cool. All right, Juan Pons. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Well, thanks, Frederick. Take care. Yeah, you too.